Welcome to this series of podcasts for FinTech CTO Club, a community where tech executives learn and share best leadership practices. Here, Vasil Soloschuk, CEO of Insart and the author of FinTech CTO Club, will discuss burning topics on the FinTech product development arena with the technical leaders in the industry. Today it's episode one of our podcast. We are going to talk with Shadi Seifan, CTO at Trizic, an enterprise-class digital asset management platform. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us what's your background specifically in fintech and what is your current role? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Shadi Seifan and um, currently I am the uh, CTO for um, Trizic, which is a uh, in a small company um, in the uh, fintech industry, uh, mainly focusing on uh, wealth management. Um, I have been always in IT since uh, 1998. Um, I worked for many companies, including um, HP, IBM, Deloitte. Um, I went through a couple of startups um, and uh, I spent my last uh, nine years before joining Trizic at FIS, um, um, very much, you know, uh, working on the uh, um, financial, you know, digital transformation, mobile banking, mobile payments, um, digital payments, digital banking, and then I made the move to Trizic um, a little bit over a year ago. Um, uh, due to my continuous interest in fintech um, and in serving the financial services with um, latest and cutting-edge technologies. Okay, okay, that's great. So, you know, uh, the other question I have, so actually you, you worked for a number of uh, companies which are a little bit different size, and uh, the question is, so what are the major challenges of the, of, of, uh, technology leader uh, and how they are different between the roles in the different companies, specifically when you have a bigger team or smaller team. So what's, right. what, what could you say here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, th this, is, this is a great question and I always ask myself, why do I enjoy smaller companies more than big companies? And, you know, what's really different there. Um, you know, I think there are the obvious things when it comes into business, right? When you're in a small company, um, you know, you definitely want to use technology, drive eventually revenue, but your level of risk usually is a little bit higher because there isn't much room for, for mistakes, for, you know, a lot of spending and not getting the return that you would think of. Um, and in general, when you plan, you plan for, um, you know, what you want to get in six months, in a year, maybe two years. Um, in larger companies, you have a much longer runway where you can, you know, and, and not that in a smaller, you don't think strategic five years, but um, in a large company, you know, it's very typical to think of where, where we want to be in five years. And, um, you know, short-term challenges are less of a problem when you are actually progressing toward your long-term. So from that perspective, um, you know, you can enjoy, you know, working at large companies trying to achieve a five-year goal, you know, that, that you have set or the organization has um, set for you. But in general, um, the size of the company with um, um, what comes with it when it comes into, you know, 
following a little bit heavier processes usually at corporates, uh, you know, at larger corporates than it is in a startup. Um, it makes, you know, in, in my opinion, you know, the efficiency of um, building and delivering something, um, you know, by default will go slower with a larger company because, um, you know, there are so many factors, many players, and um, so many extended, you know, organizations and groups that will be engaged in a way or another. And all of that takes a toll around um, um, collaboration, getting people on board, even selling the idea once and twice and 15 times, you know, as you're building it. Um, you know, from that perspective, I, I usually prefer smaller companies because I feel like while, you know, you will have some of that, but it's a much shorter way to, um, you know, you know who you need to talk to to quickly get, you know, um, buy-in or be challenged with, with the ideas, of course. But at the end, once you get to go ahead, um, you know, it becomes a, a field that you can build things on and not worry, you know, around heavy, you know, large corporate processes. So, um, and I, I know this is probably not exact answer to what you're asking for, but in general, you know, it makes the bigger difference um, when you, you know, when you're in a smaller company than when you're in a, in a larger company. But challenges usually, many of them are, are, are the same, common. You know, you want to build something that eventually your return of revenue need to um, come in, um, um, you know, and, and you need to hit your goals and achieve your goals. Um, but in, in smaller companies, your challenges become... Um, how can you build this as efficient as possible and get your revenue as early as possible? Um, in larger companies, yes, you want the revenue and you want efficiency, but you know, like I said, the, the runway and the, the tolerance around you know, delays is, is, is larger than how it is in, in smaller companies. But at the end, you're dealing with same challenges when it comes into um, getting the right resources, you know, having a process that does work, seeing progress, and uh, making sure that you're taking care of the um, um, next and pieces around, you know, security, around compliance, around um, scalability, around, um, you know, the, 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 the privacy of your customers and customers' data, and all of these things come into practice, regardless if you're in a small or a large company. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if I answered the question. I hope I did. Yeah, so, uh, you know, everything uh, really makes sense, so thank you, and uh, it's always interesting uh, when you can compare the things, uh, so it's always uh, interesting uh, uh, to, to, to know more details uh, from the practical perspective. And, you know, going forward, the next question I have, uh, it's, uh, so, to deliver the successful uh, fintech product or software product in, uh, in general, uh, there are a couple uh, you know, major things we need to take care about. So the one is very important, our people and the team structure. And you know, depending on the scope of, uh, the size of the scope of work you, uh, that you need to accomplish and deliver, you can have bigger team, smaller team. So what's your experience in structuring the team, in building the team? So how would you structure the smaller team within startup or maybe a larger team in, uh, in the enterprise? So can, you, can you tell us some of your experience? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I can talk about it. I don't think there is a right answer and a wrong answer in, in this particular you know, situation, but um, I'm, I'm a... You know, I'm a big believer and, and 
in, in, you know, the way you structure your team will reflect on your product and how you deliver it. Mm-hmm. And um, especially, you know, when we talk about, you know, more complex, you know, um, product that, um, you know, similar to what we do here and what, what we have done in the past, it's usually a large platform. It's an ecosystem. It's, it's a collection of capabilities and features and services. And um, it's really important that you get the right structure um, within the organization that, that build it. Um, because at the end, you know, if, if you have disconnected structure or organization, you probably will have disconnected a product, um, you know, per se. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's really essential how, how you structure the team. Now, um, I have tried many things in different products that I worked on in the past. And um, it's, it's always, you know, easier when you have a small team, right? When you're building, you know, um, a product with four or five people, you know, um, um, let's agree that agility, you know, proved that um, it's, it's probably a better process to follow. So, you know, I would go agile in there. But it's much easier problem, um, you know, when, when you have four or five people working on something. You know, you get your developers, your um, testers, you know, you write your user stories, and, um, you know, everyone is working together closely in, in, in a small place. But the reality of, of business and market, you know, has proven that, um, you know, when we talk products these days, we don't talk about, you know, um, a product that three, four people will work on for the next two months. You know, usually they are much larger projects, platform-based, um, and there are so many factors involved there. There's, you know, architecture, there's, uh, you know, side of the business, you know, uh, side and, and scope. There's, you know, coming up with the right architecture, um, with the right structure of data, if it involves a lot of data. Um, making sure that you have the, cor- you know, the correct level and amount of test cases that you need to, to have in place, which also mm-hmm. with bringing, well, you know, do I have to do automation? If this product is something I'll be changing all the time, then automation becomes very critical. And then you have to think of deployment. You know, am I going to build a CI/CD pipeline? Am I going to, you know, have just traditional, you know, deploying in, in, in a monolith? Your developers, your APIs, your your everything, and suddenly, you know, you have a team of 20, 30 people, right? Um, and likely, this team will be structured in a way that specializes in either the technology that they are working on or the feature that they are working on. And, and I have a little bit of philosophy there. Um, I have tried in the past to say, you know, here are the back-end developers team, here is the front-end developer team, the QA team, and now, you know, you kind of structure the team based on skill set. And I found that to be, um, you know, it works sometimes, but for the most part, um, it doesn't really achieve the, um, um, the level of, connectivity that you want to have between the team members and how the code will run eventually in production. And therefore, you know, I am a believer of um, structuring the team in a way that, um, you know, you can have the right skill set within a smaller team to build a specific feature. And um, it's typical and and have done this for many years where, you know, we have a large team because we want to deliver so many things in, in, in a short period of time. And, you know, you would structure that into four, five, six teams. Um, each team has um, 
you know, people with the right skills, including like front-end development, back-end development, QA person. Um, you will have a product owner, you know, either, um, you know, and can be shared, obviously, with the product owners in particular. But, um, but you get that team to establish the bonds between them in knowing how they work together. And they look into what they are building from end to end, you know, how, how it's being used by the consumer into how it actually run and connect to any back end, including, you know, building the back end that it needs. And I found that to be um, a more efficient way of doing it. But what comes with it is also the flexibility of dealing with reality. And reality is that you may not be able to build your team in the same location. And instead of dealing with people, you know, on the same team being in different locations, you're actually building um, co-located teams together. And it's okay to have one in San Francisco and another in Atlanta and a third in, in, in India or Ukraine or um, in any other place. And, you know, as long, you know, requirements and the final delivery is going within a larger program and larger project, it's okay to have co-located teams located together in different geographies. But what they are building is a product that is as local as that team is. And I find, find that to be, you know, very essential in the quality of what's being delivered. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. So thank you, thank you. And uh, so the, the next question also related to, to teams is actually, so uh, let's talk a bit about the uh, performance of the team and how you measure it. Uh, so, you know, you always have a budget and you need to allocate it in the efficient way and you need to understand uh, uh, what is the return on this budget. Uh, so actually the question is, so what's your performance metrics for the whole team, for the sub teams, for specific engineers in the team? So do you, do you, uh, you know, establish any kind of metrics uh, of, of, you know, uh, measure the performance of the team or not? So what's your approach here? Yeah, you know, and that, that, that's a very good question and a hard answer, require a hard answer. I, I don't think there is a book that says, you know, based on the size of the team, here is what you should expect as an output, right? I mean, that doesn't exist, right? Um, the, uh, you know, in general, um, I, for the last many years, maybe six, seven years, you know, been following more of a scrum process where, um, you know, you do what you need to do when it comes into requirements and then sizing these requirements. Um, what I believe in is your chance of failing in delivering, right, um, becomes higher when someone else commits into what you will be delivering versus you coming to the team and say, you know, here is the scope, here is what we're delivering. How long do we think, you know, this will take? And yes, you know, people can be, you know, lazy and, 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 and you know, can or can be conservative or can be aggressive and, and you have all these kind of people in, in the workforce, right? Um, but in general, um, I let, I run things and 
I let the experience within that team deter, determine things like what the velocity of the team should be and what the productivity should be. And um, I, I think it's important that you walk in without, you know, hardcore thinking of what that, you know, should be. Because at the end, it also depends on the skill set of, of the team and also the processes, right? Um, if you come in and say, um, you know, the developer has to write unit tests as part of their development process. Well, you just added probably another 40% worth of work or 20%, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you come in and say, um, you know, I want preventative testing to be done as part of the development cycle versus, you know, spending more time doing QA toward, you know, um, or after you, you, you complete the feature that you're building, right? Um, then you're, at, you're now ha having probably a, a longer cycle during development, hopefully a shorter cycle when it comes into, um, you know, activities that you do post um, completing code or post completing user stories. Um, so there are things that, you know, you can put within your process that may appear as it's slowing down the process itself, but will actually pay back when it comes into putting the code in production. And therefore, I really don't have a magic solution around how to measure performance. But the best I have seen is, um, you know, you look into teams and you see a team faster than other or deliver, you know, you know have a more productive, you know, um, delivery timeline. And you look into the team and you look into the history of what they do in every sprint. Um, is it going, you know, better, faster, slower? Um, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, things can be slow because you may have poor user stories or you may have, um, you know, imbalanced teams, right? And, you know, the, the, you have more skilled people in one team than the other. And these things, you know, become things that you measure on, not at the end of the project, obviously, but as you sprint through, um, through the project, you look into, you know, in every sprint, what the productivity was, what some of the challenges are, um, you know, you look into, you know, the, the ratio of, of uh, defects, you know, versus, you know, other teams and versus previous sprints, and you can react. And that's, you know, what agility is about, right? Being able to change quickly and, and react. So I don't have a magic answer, but, um, you know, like I said, I think, I think this comes with being engaged in the process and looking at things always from, hundred feet high when it comes into you know efficiency productivity and measuring you know um, milestones and at the end um, um, you know when it comes into delivery you know it's gonna come at the expense of, of, of something it's either your time that it takes the resources right or the scope and being agile and, and reacting you know in, in real time as, as you sprint through delivery will always allow you to manage and balance between these three and hopefully you know you, you achieve your goals at the end. All right, all right. Yeah, so thank you, thank you. Uh, so yeah, so there are, uh, so there is no silver bullet, uh, you know, on this, but uh, it always, uh, you know, you need to, you need to uh, have different options how to measure. Uh, so thank you for sharing your experience on that and uh, the other question I have, uh, actually, I had an interview with Drew Sievers and also with Steve Masick something like a year and a half ago for the Wellstack Club. And we also touched a little bit regarding the technology and how things are done 
in the software de- on the software development part, and we discuss like microservices and the CI/CD, how it is done in Trizic. So as soon as you took the role of CTO in January this year, so what what has maybe you can share something? What what has changed? Uh, what are you working uh, on right now? So do do you have? I mean, what uh, what is the technology uh, technology strategy at the moment? Uh, sure. So, so maybe you could provide some. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, um, Drew Siever, the CEO, is a visionary, and um, you know, he's been always, you know, a driver of, um, of this company. And Steve Mays um, was the uh, CTO of Trizic before I joined, and uh, an extremely respected person that I believe, you know, lift his. Um, um, you know, great components um, of the solution um, here, and, and we owe him um, for that. Um, from my perspective, um, I believe there are a couple of things that um, you know I brought in, um, and I and I believe it came, you know, with the phase that we are in. Um, you know, we're at a phase where we needed to scale and improve scale the organization and um, improve delivery. And, and these are like the main two things um, that I wanted to do. But I realized like, if you want to do that, you know, there are two factors that you want to look at. The first is, um, do you have the right tools, the right structure, the, uh, the right people, the, um, the right technology, the right architecture? But second, and I believe this is probably more important, um, do you have the right culture in the organization? Okay. And I believe that was the first thing that I, tr- I spent probably more effort in trying to build the right culture in the organization than it is to make technological you know, changes. Because um, a culture, you know, eventually, you know, it touch every aspect of what you do on a daily basis, you know, the level of collaboration, the feeling of ownership of what you're doing, the bonds that you build, you know, within the team members working toward a common goal and how that is reflected in the final product. And I believe that was probably the, you know, and, and I take pride of, getting the team where it is today and very much the team more than tripled in size, you know, as, as, as I joined, um, you know, the engineering team and it wouldn't have happened if, or it wouldn't have been successful if we didn't have the right culture, you know, within, within the team. As far as technology, um, the, definitely the move into microservices, CI, CD pipeline was definitely a great, um, um, decision. Um, the the main things you know that I believe you know to or main you know decisions um, you know on top of, um, of, of of that move was you know one for example you know making sure that um, you have a strategy around your APIs. You know it's easy to build an API, but you may end up with like five hundred different you know, API that you need to maintain. So mm-hmm. wait a minute, take a step back, let's standardize, you know, standardize how 
that is what the strategy is. You know, look into your data growth. We have a lot of data. And we cannot just randomly keep adding and adding. You know, you want to think of a data strategy. I want to make sure that this data, you know, first of all, is, is you store what you really need and it's being stored efficiently, but it also allows you to take things to to next step if you want to go um, and do more work around data. And as you and I and everyone know, there's lots of opportunities that comes, you know, when you have data, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then there are decisions. Um, when do you build? And when do you use you know, frameworks and engines within the market? And uh, many of these decisions um, you know, were, were made, like you know, looked into many of the homegrown code. I'm like, you know, you can continue that path and end up with nine million line of code, or you can make a switch now and use this framework that gives you this or that and keep your code at 20,000 lines and get more efficiency and more, um, you know, productivity, maintainability, and get rid of your technical debt, which is a big topic. You know, technical debt is huge. And, you know, as organizations keep building code and code, you know, years over year, and not think of cleaning up their technical debt, you end up having a huge amount of code that you need to maintain. So there has been a lot of, you know, cleanup um, around the code, decisions around um, tools and frameworks. Um, and um, you know, strategic thinking around um, data, APIs, uh, workflows, um, you know, processing of uh, of data, and at the end, all of that you know comes with two goals: serving our customers as best as you know a forward-thinking technology company can do, and two is protect, maintain, and scale what we have. And I believe that has been you know the focus. You know, from a technical perspective, um, like I said, line, you know, in, 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 in parallel to the cultural shift and cultural improvement that we did within the organization. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's great. And uh, another question about the technical depth I have. So, you know, every, uh, so the, there is a product management team and engineering team and product management team, they set requirements and engineering team deliver against these requirements. But the, uh, uh, the question about the technical depth is actually the following. So uh, in the successful product, you always have some level of the technical depth when you develop your software through the years. And the question is uh, how you balance the effort spent uh, to eliminate the technical depth to re-architect your system, to update your software architecture, and maybe do refactoring and other things. And, uh, right. uh, and how do you balance this with delivering the actual business value, developing features? Uh, you know, what's, what's your approach here? Yeah, I, um, I mean, this is a great question. Um, I don't know of any company that doesn't have a level of technical debt, right? Um, unless you're starting today. Um, so, and, and I think 90, 95% of the companies cannot afford saying, hey, we want to pause for six months and take care of our technical debt or, or, or one year. Um, you know, maybe there are large companies who maybe may afford to do it, you know, um, once at a time. But um, being in a small company, I mean, that luxury doesn't exist, right? Um, so, um, yes, we, we do have technical debt. Every company does. Um, the good news is um, 
like the first step you want to do is not build more technical debt. I mean, that was like one of the first decisions to be made. You know, um, if you consider a large monolith of two million line of code at technical debt, don't add more code to that monolith, right? Um, mm -hmm. If the architecture is uh, microservices architecture, you know, if you're doing CI, CD, build everything new on that. And that was like the first obvious decision, you know, that have to be made. Now, second is you look into opportunities, right? Um, you know, you have a, a project where you need to improve a specific feature from the monolith, right? Well, you evaluate quickly, you know, maybe this is the right opportunity of taking this and building it as a standalone microservice. And we have done that multiple times um, in the last year. You know, we would be in a place where we want to build um, a feature um, or improve an existing feature. I'm like, okay, guys, you know, we can do this in two months or we can add two weeks to it and retire the old code and very much get rid of some technical debt in that process. And usually these are an easier decisions, right? Um, your, um, you know, your project takes... Um, X number of hours, you add another 10%, 15% of the hours, and you get rid of your technical debt in, in a monolith. And then there are the hard decisions, right? The hard decisions are things like, um, you know, this is a small feature improvement, but if I want to take the care of the technical debt that include this feature, I'm talking about six months worth of work, right? And, and these are much harder to do. So um, in these cases, it's, uh, you know, it goes back into, you know, do you really have the capability, capacity, and, um, you know, fund and support and, uh, you know, um, feeling very comfortable in the market that you can justify that um, investment or not? And in many cases, you know, you may find the answer to be no, not now, right? Which leave it into making one of two decisions, right? One decision could be, okay, let's not do the whole thing. Let's at least create a digital or create some API on top of that feature and hide it behind that API. And now we're 20% into retiring old code and getting rid of technical debt. You know, another thing that does work is, um, you know, um, we want our team to focus into building, you know, everything new. You know, can we, you know, get creative, find a little bit of lower cost team that can do things based on, requirements and retire this for us. And we have done that in the past, you know, where we go into um, places that are more manageable when it comes into how much you pay resources, right? And, uh, you know, you engage a lead from, from here and uh, you, you rewrite things. Um, you know, very much you're not really reinventing the wheel, you're just restructuring it in a completely different way that will allow it to scale and, and that does work. Um, so there is there's no magic answer there, but, um, in my opinion, you know, getting rid of your technical debt, it's a process and it's not, um, you know, a silver bullet, you know, quick task that you do, especially if you are far in your product or platform. Um, and, you know, that's, that's my experience. And it's beautiful always when you see, you know, a large monolith shrinking, 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 and it becomes that small microservice by itself, right? And that's like, okay, well, we hit our... Um, you know, finish line. So that, that would be a great, uh, great outcome. Okay, that's cool. And uh, so you mentioned that the, corpor uh, the corporate culture is uh, very important and the engineering culture is very important uh, for the success of the uh, product, uh, the product development. But uh, 
can you name uh, the few specific things that you would include in the engineering culture or overall corporate culture uh, which are important for yourself? So because you mentioned that you, uh, you did the shift of the culture, but what are the specific things that are the most important? You know, absolutely. Um, and I think they fall into also different categories, right? Um, mm -hmm. So from, you know, when we talk culture, you know, there are the things that you enjoy while being at work. And then there are the things around the process of how you do things and build things and interact with others. And then, you know, there are the um, things around your feeling toward what is being built and, and delivered. There were times when, you know, the company is too small where someone will come up with a quick idea and an engineer will implement it, right? Um, eventually, as you scale and as you grow, you know, um, you start putting process that allow a product manager, for example, or a product owner, to explain to the team why they are doing this feature. You know, what is this feature in, in high level and why they are doing it and how people will use it. And you give them the opportunity of, you know, asking question and try to imagine it as, as you know, you're talking about it from, from product perspective and from business perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, like, this is the first thing you want to do. You make an engineer work on something that he or she at least can imagine how it will be used and how or what difference it will make in the life of our customers, right? Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, document that and, uh, you know, whether, you know, if you follow a Scrum process, for example, you do it in, in, in the shape of user stories. And then you allow the um, development team and the QA team to come in and, and discuss it, discuss the actual requirements and ask questions about it. And even feeling, okay, so oh, yeah, we need to do this task as part of this or that task as part of that. You know, allow the QA to um, start thinking of, you know, if this is built, I wanna make sure that I need to cover these test cases. Socialize and have the QA socialize the test cases with the developer. You know, um, here are the cases I'm thinking of. What do you think? It was like, you know, what you do there immediately is, is you, you make the developer think of things that he or she may not have thought of before, mm -hmm. but also allow the developer to react to these test cases and make the QA person, you know, think of things that he or she need to, um, you know, need to think of as well, you know, and, and need to build these test cases as well. And then it comes into, you know, the collaboration part and um, saying, you know, sorry for the noise, if you build um, a test, you're responsible to make it work and you bring quality into the equation. You know, this is not about just writing code that work. It's writing code that you believe will actually pass all test cases. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and then you start, you know, you get the developer to think, okay, well, I wrote the code, it works now. Someone else is going to make it a break. Let me see if I can actually make sure that it's solid. Try to break it even myself. I'm going to add a few automated unit tests to it. And then, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that comes in with best quality. Now, you're thinking of delivery, but you're thinking of delivery with quality, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
QA getting you know to it, and then adding things to the um, process around like security scanning, performance testing, you know, having sessions to discuss um, 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 uh, technology architecture, um, you know, brown bags. You know, someone wrote you know great code that has um, algorithm and in, 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 in an AI. You know, uh, great things that he or she is proud of. You know. We encourage them. Let's have a brown bag. Talk about it. Bring lunch here, and have that person present. Um, you know things, um, um, and then you know taking it through the full you know life cycle with the right process. Celebrate at the end of the project. You know there is an achievement. Um, we you know our our timeline. It's worth celebration. Mm -hmm. um, and really, you know, bring feedback to them. You know, hey guys, just so you know, you know this bank or that bank is using the product. They are happy about it. You know, they have this number of customers. You know, making make them feel proud of what they deliver. This is not, you know, in my opinion, a developer, a QA. Um, you know, anyone in this company is not meant to be, you know, someone with the job of moving something from A to B and then you forget about it. You know, this is this is your your pride of, of what you have built. This is complete ownership. Um, and um, and on top of it, you know, you need to bring innovation. You know. You want to encourage people to think out of the box. You know, I um, I have at least two or three people at any given time working on proof of concepts, innovation projects. You know, trying something new. You know, okay. uh, evaluating tools. Like you want to bring this into the culture because I, this is not a financial company. This is a fintech. This is technology company. We're supposed to be the company that brings the newest technology to our financial. Um, Industry, and we want to make sure that we are there. So, and, and there are many other things, you know, that 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 comes into that uh, topic. I can talk probably for hours on it, so I'll just keep it at that at this point. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's really cool uh, about this vision on the culture. And uh, I have a few more questions. Uh, so actually, I I just read about that Trizy uh, got some uh, the next round of investment. And uh, so congratulations on that. And uh, the question is actually, uh, we, uh, we had, uh, from, from our experience with some of our clients, we, all, we also observed that engineering team uh, needs to, you know, to prepare for the round of investment and to help with that in, in some way. So uh, the question is, uh, how, do you how do you think the engineering team and uh, Probably you as CTO can help company uh, with raising additional uh, round of investment. So, uh, actually, does engineering team influence on that? How it can influence? How it can help? So, what's what's your experience here? Yeah, I mean, I you know, being candid there, I in my opinion. Um, the engineering team need always to understand that the product they are building, the capability they are uh, putting in place, and the efficiency and productivity that you know they have in the organization, it drives two things. Number one is the confidence, you know, for the CEO or the CFO or whoever you know who actually work in, you know going out of their way to actually bring funding to the company, you know, and, and, and 
you know, in, in any round of fund, you know, mm-hmm. the best, one of the best weapons that they need to have with them is the confidence that they have an extremely solid team behind them who actually deliver, deliver on time, deliver with high quality and equip, you know, the, the CEO, the CFO or, or what have you with, um, the showcase of things working and, um, you know, like I said, the confidence that the house doesn't only look great from the outside, it's great, solid, and even fancy from the inside. And in my opinion, that is more important than anything else. I Personally, I, I don't necessarily see, you know, engineering team going around and, and getting fun. That's not what they do. You know, engineers, they focus into, you know, what they are good at, engineering, right? But, um, you know, from, from that aspect, um, you know, I see engineers, um, you know, are providing the biggest and best help in that. The second thing is, um, remember, communication is two ways, right? And, and you want to equip your, you know, C-level, um, you know, executives with the information they need so they can move things forward. They can, you know, raise their round and, and do what, what they have to. But also, you know, it's important for engineering to solicit, you know, feedback from uh, management to, you know, I find it, you know, personally, like I would ask, you know, the CEO, the CFO, the CEO, and what we can do to make things better, you know, um, what's your dream? You know, what do you dream of? You know, if you, if you can build and um, um, what's your nightmare, you know, what do you, what do you get a nightmare about at night? You know, um, what well, they get nightmare at night is, is something you focus on to make sure that they can have good night's sleep. Hey, you know what? Don't worry. We are as secure as it can get. You know, um, we, uh, we feel extremely confident that, you know, for example, you know, our customer data, our customer, you know, um, interest is completely secure behind 15,000, you know, solid firewall and, and all aspects of things. At the same time, you know, what's your dream? Well, you know, I wish we... We can do this and that, and you equip them with, hey, you know, we're doing a proof concept in that area, or we we have a, a prototype of something. And I find that to be way more important than trying to be actively in any, you know, fundraising, you know, process, because if there is anything that the CEO or the CFO or the CEO want to have is the team focused and the team deliver best quality product to challenge themselves and be, you know, passing every expectation. So when they go on set, they talk with a huge level of confidence. And I believe that our team at Trezic is exactly that and more. And I find that to be extremely the best, you know, help that um, anyone can have, um, especially at times when you want to raise funds, because you make the case, you know, I'm raising funds because I want to innovate. I want to do more. I want to build more complex products, you know, or, or what have you. And, and, and that's the best thing an engineering team can do. Okay, thank you. That's great. So a few last questions. And uh, so the one is, as a CTO and, uh, you know, the, you need to actually to uh, split your time between many different things. And uh, what about time management techniques that you use? So do you have any approach here? Do you use some specific techniques? Uh, how do you prioritize, you know, the task you, have, you need to do? Um, so how, how does it work? What works for yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, best? Mm-hmm. you know, um, 
time management is is a challenge for so many people, um, and I, I do have that challenge uh, to some extent. But I I have a philosophy. I my goal is to make things stable in a way that my job is not needed anymore. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, will I get to that? I, I don't know, right? But, um, you know, you always think of, you know, why am I busy? Why I, you know, the eight hours a day or the nine hours or the seven hours are not enough, you know? Um, well, there's so much time is being spent there. There's so much time is being spent there. And then you realize, you know, I need to do something about that. So it can scale, it can run, it can, you know, happen without needing that level of, of, of engagement. And from that perspective, um, you know, you start tackling the things that suck most of your time. And, you know, m- so much of that usually gets resolved by um, either improving a process, in some cases even putting a process for a place that there is no process, or making technological architecture um, decision or infrastructure decision, right? Or, or maybe in parallel with um, getting the help that you need from the team members, right? Um, and I, I find that to be extremely critical because mm-hmm. you can try to solve everything, right? And the time will never, you know, be in your, on your, on your side. You will always be behind. Okay. Or you can empower your team to understand what the challenge is and get them to be part of the solution. And in some cases, have them lead the solution, mm-hmm. you know? And I can't tell you, you know, how much or how many times I was happily surprised with people either thinking out of the box and coming up with creative ideas that I myself did not think of, or being happily surprised with people stepping up outside of what I would think or other people think to be is their comfort zone Mm -hmm. and took more challenges and responsibilities that eventually improved the, the organization. And I find that to be the, the, the biggest help. Yes, we did make decisions architecturally, infrastructurally, you know, where we take a short-term pain and a mid-term to, to, to long-term gains, you know, and, and, and that helped. Um, but I think the um, making the whole team part of understanding what the challenge is and part of the solution was probably or had probably the biggest impact. Um, there are things that, you know, a little bit, you know, overkill to pass it to others, and and those comes in the core of what I'm responsible to do. Um, you know, things around making sure that the technology is working. The uh, you know we're actually uh, uh, you know passing the uh, you know different audits, and uh, we have the right processes around our IT department, um, our hosting, our you know there are so many areas that may be a little bit outside of the day to day of what a developer, you know, need to do. And, and those continue to be, you know, in my plate. And, and more important is making sure that the bond and communication collaboration between technology and business, um, 
you know, with, with where we're heading and the company and the business and the product is as solid as, as it can get. Um, but in my opinion, these are, you know, while, while they do take time, um, these are the things that only makes this job and make the team, you know, more productive and really happier with what they do. Um, so, um, you know, so yeah, I, I, I do have, you know, like probably so many other people, you know, time management issues, but so far we've been taking steps to, uh, to solve it. Of course, there is the time management around deliveries, right? I mean, business wants to build things, you know, and, and deliver to the market. In many cases, this needs to come with more resources. Um, and, you know, that usually goes into the uh, budget. Can we put the budget for that? Can we uh, get creative with how to cut costs? Uh, but these are, you know, business as usual challenges. You know, you have them at small companies, at large companies, at startups, you have them everywhere. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Thank you. And uh, so another question, uh, how, how do you learn? Uh, actually, uh, there are so many things going on in the technology world, specifically fintech. So you need to keep your yourself updated on the business side, on the technology side, on the management practices. Uh, so how do you learn? Like start maybe starting from like reading books, what or listening to podcasts or attending conferences or reading something or listening something. So what works for you the best for that? Yeah, I, um, that's an interesting question. Um, I get to admit that reading books is becoming less of, of the thing that I do anymore. There were times when there is a new technology, you go and buy the book and you read it and you implement, you know, as you read and you become really expert at it at the end of that book. And I feel like the time for that, you know, at least for me, you know, has, has passed. Um, but, um, I find the probably the more um, informative thing to me is driven by two things. One of them is attending, you know, conferences, uh, you know, uh, sessions, um, um, you know, online and in person, uh, you know, forums of you know people sharing and talking and collaborating and explaining technology. Um, you know, it, it becomes more of a it has a social part of it that actually brings so much knowledge. And I find that to be extremely productive for me. Um, the other thing is really what's on you, you know. Um, do you monitor what happens in the market? Do you read, um, you know, articles around things and then you look into, you know, latest technologies coming from Apple, Google, uh, you know, um, whichever you use, Microsoft, um, you know, all, all these, um, you know, and, and the different companies, um, you know, and, and that's on you. That's on your free time, um, which, you know, we get to admit that we don't have many of it. But, um, you know, you always can go into um, a technology, you know, online magazine and, and read, uh, you know, about something. And you get interested, you research, you, you go and you search, you know, you Google it, you read more. And, you um, that has been, um, you know, things I do whenever, you know, time allows. Um, but I believe that meetings, conferences, gatherings, the nice thing about them is that you actually put it in your calendar and you know that you're there and you know that you want to attend these sessions and you're 
you really find the right time, you know, and you schedule it. And that works really well for me. Okay, cool, cool. The last question. So what the most interesting and most motivating part of your job as CTO at the moment? And uh, what would you name like the most boring part of your job? Uh, oh, man. I wish, you see, this is the time when I wish like I thought of that, you know, before, before I'm asked this question. Um, okay. I, I love... I look. I uh, I love technology, but I'm a people person by default. And the happiest thing for me, or the happiest moment for me, is when I look into some of the employees and I see them working hard, and then they deliver, and then you have that smile of. Um, of seeing things, you know, when they see things work in production and, and you can see the, the level of pride in their eyes, that excites me the most. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, as part of my job, I have to communicate, you know, um, uh, up and down and, you know, to customers and all of that and seeing a customer happy is definitely great, but nothing, nothing, nothing would excite me more than seeing a smile on a developer or a QA or a technical project manager when they see their product out there working and you can see you can see that pride in their eyes that makes not my day my week that makes my month you know and um, I, I love that um, so I may have disappointed you maybe you're, you're looking for a technology that I can name or something but um, no I mean that's really what excites me the most um, being a CTO, being a VP of engineering, being uh, an engineering lead, I, the titles don't necessarily mean much to me. It's really the outcome of what my role is. And I believe my role is not to deliver. My role is to make my team deliver. Mm -hmm. And if they deliver, you know, and, and they are happy and proud about it, I take all the pride of it and I sleep great for the whole month after that, you know. So that's great, but what about the most boring part? The, mo the most uninteresting part of the job? Um, okay, I don't want this to go the wrong way, but as part of my job, I have to do a lot of documentations and do things. So I don't necessarily enjoy it the most, but I do it. <laughs> so, okay. You know, and, and honestly, honestly, sometimes I pick a boring task that I don't want the engineers to do because I don't want them to get bored. Okay. And I decide that I want to do it because I want to keep them excited. Um, um, I, I like responsibility. Um, I like it because I, not that, I like it because I make my responsibility um, known to others and I hold myself responsible for actually achieving, you know, making the team achieving results. Um, but if there is any specific thing I don't like, like, you know, going through a lot of audits and you have to document things that you probably, you know, have documented two years ago or a year ago, but you know, you have to go there and make sure everything is up to date and, um, and uh, you know, do things there. It's, it's, it, 
bores me sometimes, but um, I'm thankful that it's not a large percentage of my job. It's actually a fraction of the time I, I use here. Overall, I, um, when you go to work and you feel like you're, you're with great people, you know, intelligent business people, um, intelligent teams, technical people, and, and a huge level of respect and collaboration, it's like you will do anything and not feel bored there, you know? And, and that's how I feel here in this organization. Okay, that's great. All right, so thank you for the answers. Uh, so I don't have any more questions for today. And uh, so thank you for this session. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Vassal.